Well, book of Colossians, we're going to uh, be at the last part of chapter 1 and the first part of chapter 2 today, and uh, continuing our series on Complete in Christ, about the work that He does and the importance of serving in Christ. Today, that's simply our title, Servants of Christ. And if you don't have a handout and you would like to, to grab one of those to follow along, you're welcome to slip out to the, to the lobby and pick one up. Um, maybe that will help you as we move through the, the lesson today and maybe through your week. So, as you know, my very first Sunday here uh, as, as the teaching pastor, I started in Colossians chapter 1, and we talked about verses 27, 28, and 29, that Him we proclaim, teaching with all wisdom, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. And that is an anchor verse for life and ministry. I think that's an important anchor verse for the church. Uh, so that's why we kind of started there. But I wanted to backtrack us as we preach and teach through this book of Colossians, where Christ is the center, the Christology, the study of Christ, probably is is presented as clear in Colossians as it is in any text that we have. So I've really enjoyed trying to work our way through this. And Paul's teaching to this, this small church, we really don't know the size, nor does it really matter, does it? It's the church in Colossae. Paul has never been there. He's heard about them, but he's not visited them before. And that kind of leads us into why he does what he does in the last six verses of chapter 1 and then sets us up for the first five in chapter 2. So if you've got your Bibles, let's jump in here and begin reading at 24, verse 24, chapter 1, and we'll go to the end of the chapter. Paul says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for you, that I'm comp completing in my flesh what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for His body, that is the church. I have become its servant according to God's commission that was given to me for you to make the Word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to His saints. God wanted to make known among the Gentiles the glorious wealth of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now we proclaim Him, warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we might present everyone mature in Christ. Now I labor for this, striving with all His strength that works powerfully in me. Well, I could spend the rest of our time this morning and spill into the, the afternoon getting you just to circle and highlight and pay attention to phrases that repeat and key words, and we'll look at some of those. But I hope you'll go home. And one of the things I often do is I'll take this passage of Scripture, I'll print it out on a 8.5 by 11 piece of paper, double space it, and then I, and I get all my markers out. Anybody, are any of you marker people? I get all my markers, my colored pencils, and then I start to circle and highlight, and I enjoy trying to dissect a text that way. And maybe that's a process that will be helpful for you. But in the 30,000-foot view right now, what Paul has just done in these last six verses is he starts to explain his ministry 
and his calling. Interesting, Randy, that you asked me today the questions about ministry and calling, and this ties into our text. And you may be going, why does Paul feel the necessity to explain who he is, what his calling is, why he's even writing to them? And maybe I can put it to you this way. What would be your response if you got a letter in the mail addressed to you from someone who was in prison that you had never met that says they like you a lot, but this person who is in prison is known to be a troublemaker and probably facing a death sentence. If you got that letter in the mail, what would you do? File 13? It'd be quick to discard that letter, wouldn't it? Going, I don't know this guy. His character seems suspect. He's really in a place I don't want to be. What would all this be? Well, that's exactly the situation Paul found himself in. He's a prisoner in Rome when he writes this letter. He's writing to a group of people that he has never met, and yet the reputation of Paul has preceded him because the Romans have identified him as a troublemaker and have even sentenced him to a death sentence. The other reason why Paul is writing this letter with such clarity to them is because false teachers have entered into this church of Colossae. People are trying to tell the congregation there that there's another way to heaven, that Jesus wasn't really the Son of God. That's why we just had the previous section where Paul is delighted to talk about the supremacy and the sufficiency of Christ. But Paul wants to warn this body, you and I, that there are false teachers around. Can I just give you a newsflash? Everything on the internet is not real, or is it true? I can't tell you the number of people throughout my life and ministry have come to me and go, Pastor, I saw this on the internet, and it's just bad theology. Or I watched this on TV. Don't even get me started. Just because they're on a Christian network does not make, make them preachers of the truth. Do you hear me? Shiny suits and bad hair pieces doesn't get it done. <laughs> yeah, I said that. The old illustration is still true. They tell me if you... Um, wait work for the Treasury Department. And your job is to learn how to identify counterfeit money. You know how they train you to do that? By handling the real stuff. And you spend hours and days just counting the real stuff. And as you get to know how the real feels and is handled, as soon as the counterfeit is slipped in, you can spot it immediately. Folks, can I encourage you and I today to get to know the real stuff? You and I will be unseated. We will be led astray. 
If all you get is your study on Sunday morning, it will be insufficient for you. If you don't know and understand this book, do I believe that what you get on Sunday morning is truthful? Yes, it is. Do I believe what you've gotten here for the last 25 years under the the preaching and the teaching of Pastor Sam has been faithful? Father, I thank you for Sam and his ministry, don't you? I thank you that he has led this congregation in such a way that we know how to open our Bibles and we appreciate the value of a verse-by-verse study. I stand on his shoulders today and I recognize that he's been a faithful preacher that's gone ahead of us. So you're further along than most. But any time that you and I get content with simply hearing the Word of God preached to us and not studying it on our own and not loving it with all of our heart and not hungering and thirsting for it like the deer does the water brook, I'm going to tell you, you and I will be set up to go astray by what sounds good and by what sounds familiar but isn't authentic and isn't true. And Paul writes to this church and he writes to you and I today and he goes, listen, I just talked to you about the supremacy and the efficiency of Christ. But what I desire to see and what he's telling us in this section is he wants to see the gospel of Christ in its fullness among us. And he wants to see believers in their maturity. Are you growing? Do you look more like Christ today than you did? Well, let's... Let's give ourselves some margin. How about last year? Do you look more like Christ than you did last year? You go, I'm not sure. Let me tighten it to what I think Christ would have us to do. Do you look more like Christ today than you did yesterday? Is He chiseling away everything that doesn't look like Him? Is He shaping and forming us into the fullness of who He's called us to be. Let me ask you a question this morning. How many of you would say that you are called to be a minister? Randy asked me that question. How many of you in the room are called to be a minister? All right, I'm going to ask that question again. How many of you are called to be a minister? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, the correct answer is, if I know Christ as my Savior, I'm called to be a minister. Now, often we think minister is the guy that's in the long robe with the, with the little collar, and he's the guy that stands up here and does this. But when you look at the text, twice Paul uses the word minister, or it translates to the word servant. And the word in this text, in verse 24 and verse 25, doesn't just reply to the word servant, but to that of humble servant, or to the servant of the lowest level, to the one that would wash the feet. If you'll go down into my office, you'll see a a statue, a picture that I have of Jesus washing the feet of Peter. That is in my office as a reminder to be number two, to always pick up the towel. And to always be willing to be the servant. I was talking about this several years ago with a man. And he said, well, that's easy for you to say. You're the preacher. So you have all the easy places to serve. And you have the upfront places to serve.
It's not about how we serve. It's about who we serve. And if you and I ever get back to the corner of our role or our title or our position or our influence, then we have just lost the heart of the servant. And the heart of the servant simply comes before the Father and goes, Yes, Lord, where would you have me work? And how would you have me serve? And your answer is always yes. Do you hear me? That's the heart of a servant. So let me try to walk our way through this a little bit today. Because serving in this culture is not easy. We serve in a society, we serve in a culture that really doesn't like to hear what we have to say. Matter of fact, it's no different for Paul. The message Paul was preaching was heard by the Romans and the Greeks and the Orthodox Jews and the cultists, and they hated his message. Everything was not rainbows and bunnies. These men hated what Paul had to say to the point that he was eventually beheaded. So you and I live in a society that's not sympathetic to our cause that doesn't make it easy for us to serve, that doesn't make it easy to pick up a towel and go serve our community and to serve one another in the church. And yet that's exactly what God has called us to do. And Paul teaches us that serving Christ should be our highest privilege and greatest honor. Did you hear that this morning? Serving Christ should be our highest privilege and greatest honor. C.H. Spurgeon said this, if God has called you to be a servant, don't stoop to be a king. <laughs> Take that home. Sometimes the first point's not the easiest, but truth's the truth. Write this down if you want to follow along with me. Servants, servants of Christ, Servants embrace suffering and they endure for Christ. Embrace suffering. Go back and look at me. Or look at the passage, rather, verses 24 through 26. Now I rejoice in my suffering for you. And I'm completing in my flesh what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for his body, that is the church. I have become its servant according to God's commission that was given to me to you to make the word of God fully known, and the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now it is revealed to his saints. Folks, following Jesus is not life happily ever after. Not here. One day it is, isn't it? One day we spend eternity with him. But here, it's not happily ever after. Sometimes it's the nasty now and now. Sometimes it's the most difficult of days. Oftentimes when I have the privilege of leading someone to the Lord, I will, I will tell them, just so you know, life didn't get easier, it got harder. But now you have hope, and now you have strength, and that changes everything. Do you remember Jesus' words? In this life, you will have trials and tribulations. I wonder how many of us have that verse underlined in our Bible, don't we? You come across that verse and you underline it and go, yep. 
Yep, that is the truth. You gotta go on and read the rest of that verse. Why? You have trials and tribulations because you're in this world which hated Christ. He said, but do not fear, for I have overcome the world. For greater, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Is there anybody in the room that has found serving the Lord can be painful? Can be difficult? Can be exhausting? You know where sometimes we get wounded the most as servants of Christ? Right here, isn't it? Right here. I think of, of, his name was Saul at the time. You recall the story out of Acts 9? Riding on his horse, going to persecute the Christians. God comes and knocks him off his horse, causes blindness to come to his eyes. And if you look back at that chapter, verses 15 and 16, Saul goes, who are you? He says, I am the Lord that you are persecuting. You moment down in the passage. He goes to his guy, Ananias, and says, Ananias, I'm sending to you Saul. And Ananias goes, Lord, it really him? I've heard stories of this guy. Can we get anybody else? And he goes, go, for this man is, cho is my chosen instrument to take my name to the Gentiles, to the kings and the Israelites, and I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. If you want to look at a passage with me, go over to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. You begin reading in verse 23. Listen to, to Paul. That's Romans 11, and that won't get the job done. 2 Corinthians 11. Verse 23 says, Are there servants of Christ? I'm talking like a madman. I'm, I'm a better one. Did you hear him? That's kind of bold, isn't it? Are other people servants of Christ? He goes, sure they are. But I'm better than any of them. Wow. Why? He goes on. He says, with far more labors, many more imprisonments, far worse beatings, many times near death. Five times I received 40 lashes minus the one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. That's with actual stones, just so you know. Three times I was shipwrecked. I have spent a night and a day in the open sea. On frequent journeys I faced dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, Dangers from my own people, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers at sea, dangers among the false brothers, toil and hardship, many sleepless nights, hunger and thirst, often without food, cold and without clothing, not to mention other things. There is the daily pressure on me, my concern for all the churches. Why a list, isn't it? For the Apostle Paul and what he suffered for the church. But here's what I want to say to you. If you're going to suffer, and you will, 
suffer for the right reason. Suffer for the cause of Christ. Suffer for the testimony of Christ. Suffer as a servant of Christ. Jesus said, blessed are those who suffer for my sake. Not those who are pushy and not those who are obnoxious and not those who are just weird. That's not where the blessing lies. Jesus says, be wise as a serpent and harmless as a dove. Suffer for his sake. But when you suffer, look, watch what Paul says, embrace it. Embrace it and then endure it. Now, if some of you have been following along with me this morning, you got to verse 24 and you've just been sitting there staring at this, that one little phrase, haven't you? Going, what is Paul saying? What does he mean when Paul says, I am completing in my flesh what is lacking in Christ's afflictions in his body, which is the church? Is Paul saying to you and I today that what Christ did on the cross was insufficient? Is he saying that what Christ did on the cross was great to a point, but Paul needed to add to the afflictions of Christ in order for it to be complete. By no means is Paul saying this. And how do we know this? Because not what Paul has said, but why? Because what Jesus has said. Jesus hung on a cross, paying for your sins and mine. Do you remember the last saying of the cross? It is finished. He didn't say it's almost done. He said it is done. By the way, I'm just going to chase this for a moment. That's the reason why baptism doesn't complete your salvation. If baptism completed your salvation, Jesus would have had to have said, it's almost done. But what Jesus did on a cross was sufficient for everything we need. So what is Paul saying here that I am completing in my flesh what is lacking in Christ's affliction? Catch this. I thought this was a beautiful illustration and understanding. The world went to attack the body, to attack Christ, to attack the church. And to attack it, they went after the head. Who's the head of the church? It's Christ. They went after the head. Jesus Christ, who suffered and died, three days later rose again, spent 40 days on this earth, ascended to the Father, and today He is seated at the right hand of God, waiting to come back and get you and I. That's where he is. They went after the head and he was wounded and bruised for our transgressions. But he's not here now. So guess who they go after now? They go after the body. They went after the head, but the head has ascended. What is left for the world to attack is the body. You and I, the church. So when Paul goes that I am completing in my flesh what is lacking in Christ's affliction. They can't attack the head any longer. But it's my turn in the body of Christ to receive this affliction. It's an amazing passage of Scripture. And here's the beauty. Do you remember back to the Acts 9 passage? Saul, Saul. Why persecute, what did he say? Me. Paul wasn't thinking he was persecuting Christ, was he? 
He thought he was going out, that was Saul at the time, to persecute the Christians, the followers of Christ. But when we are attacked and we suffer, he suffers. And he said, you're afflicting me. You're attacking me. And when you go back to the beginning of verse 24 of chapter 1, look at the irony of how Paul states this whole, this whole thesis. He goes, I rejoice in my sufferings. When's the last time hardship, heartache, pain, and turmoil came in your life and you stood up and went, fantastic. Brother Randy's getting ready to have knee surgery to which he knows what is coming. It's hard to go, I can't wait for this. Right? But here's the truth. When Christ is greater than circumstances... When Christ is greater than circumstances, I can suffer for Him, and He can get the glory, and I can get the good out of it, because I can embrace suffering in my life for the cause of Christ, for the purpose of the gospel. And then you catch it in verse 25, you not only embrace it, but you endure for it. He says, I have become its servant, the servant of the church, according to God's commission or God's calling. Why? To make the Word of God fully known. And I grew up in this, this Christian home, and my dad was a great preacher, but my mama, now that was a storyteller. She could make you think you were in the scene. And I'll never forget being a little boy in her Sunday school class, and she'd be teaching on David and Goliath, and I'm not going to dare do it, but she'd get a chair she put it in the middle of the room. And when she wanted to talk about how big Goliath was, she'd stand up on that chair. We're all sitting on the floor going, good grief. She's limber. And then she'd jump down off the chair and she would tell us more about the story. And I could almost feel the cold water run over my hand the way she would tell it as David ran down the hillside and put his hand in the water and picked up the five smooth stones. And I thought, He picked up one of those stones and he put it in his pouch and he wound that thing up. And I'll never forget as he's winding this thing up, my mom jumps back up on the stool. David let that thing go. And that rock hit him square in the center of the head and my mom fell face first off that stool. You know what she did? She helped me experience the Word of God. I think Paul so much wanted the church at Colossae to experience this book, to know it in vivid color, to fall in such love with it that they, they could just hunger and thirst for it. And when they know it so well, these false teachers, they go, oh, no, 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 that's not true. That's not true. I'm a servant of Christ, and I embrace what comes into my life, and I endure it for the cause of Christ. Do you want a second point? Servants of Christ labor. They labor for full maturity in Christ. 27 says, God wanted to make known among the Gentiles the glorious wealth of this ministry, which is Christ in you. Circle that. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And what we've already preached, we proclaimed Him warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom. Circle it again so that we may present everyone
mature in Christ. I want you to go back to verse 28, and I want you to circle the word we. And this is important to us today. And this points us directly to why connect groups and serve teams are going to be so vitally important in this church and in your life. Paul doesn't say I. He says we, the body of Christ. Do you know we're better when we're together? We're better when we're connected. We're stronger when we are serving. We're not islands unto ourselves. And he, he lays this out. It's not the preacher's job to present everyone mature. Do you see that? It's we. You and I are the we. It's as much your job to present your friends and your family and your children and your grandchildren and your spouse mature in Christ as it is my job. It's much your job to be a part of a group where you are helping other believers within this local body to look more like Christ at the end of the day. Paul says it right here. It is we that proclaim Him. And it is so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Can I just beg you and I today to capture that burden that we have a responsibility to labor for each other so that we each look more like Christ at the end of the day. And one day when we stand before Him, we hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Come on in and let's have a party, loosely translated. Let me just ask, when's the last time you've been intentional to be a part of the we that's helping others look like Christ? And maybe God will convict all of us about that to do a little bit better job, and to labor a little bit more. He goes on in verse 29, but watch this. He goes, now I, I labor for this, striving with His strength that works powerfully in me. So while there's this corporate responsibility, none of us as Fellowship Bible Church will be able to help everyone to be mature in Christ if each of us individually do not recognize the responsibility and the call that God has put on your life to be dedicated to Him, to work out of His strength and not yours, and to let God do the work. I get so weary. There's, a, there's preacher worlds out there. Uh, Brother Chris, you, you probably relate to this in, in days past and understand this, but preachers... Sometimes we are all about the numbers. And you go to a preacher's convention, and you know what the first question a brother will ask you? So how big is your church? Well, how many people you got on staff? Oh, to God that we as the church, as the body of Christ, would learn to ask each other, how can I help strengthen you? How can I come along beside you? How can I help you look more like Christ and not bow up and not try to act like we're better or more? Servants, next point, strengthen the body of Christ. They embrace and endure for Christ. They labor, but they also strengthen. 
You jump over into the first part of chapter 2, and he says, For I want you to know how greatly I am struggling for you, for those in Laodicea, and for all those that have not seen me in person. He says, I want their hearts to be encouraged. I want them to be joined together in love so that they have all the riches of complete understanding and have knowledge of God's mystery, Christ. Now in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And I am saying this so that, so that no one will deceive you with arguments that sound reasonable. If you really want to be a servant, you'll strengthen the body by taking on the characteristics of a servant. They're threefold. You saw them right there in the text. That hearts are encouraged. That we're united in love. And that we're growing in a full understanding of who God is. Do you see those three there? I want their hearts to be encouraged. I want them to be joined together in love. And that they will have all the riches of a complete understanding and have the knowledge of God's mystery, Christ. At the church where I was serving in Danville, Virginia, we had bought a shopping center and they had a huge parking lot. And there were outbuild out restaurants on the front end of this and um, the people on Saturday night loved to leave their trash all over the parking lot on Sunday morning. And when I first went there in 2016, I started to go out on Sunday mornings. I would come in early, and I'd just get a trash bag, and I'd start going around and, and just picking up some trash because I, I thought it looked better. Well, one Sunday I pulled in, and I noticed this man, and he would attend the church, but I didn't really know him. But he got there before I did, which was saying something. And he had one of those little uh, dust pans on a handle, you know what I'm talking about? And his little broom. And he was just walking through the parking lot, picking up everything. And I rolled up beside him, and I said, David, how are you doing? He said, oh, I'm doing great. I'm doing great. I said, what are you doing? He said, well, I, I just felt like we needed to clean the parking lot. Well, my job was done after that. I never cleaned that parking lot one more time because... This guy took it upon himself to go, that's an area that's important to me. When, as I recall, it was in August of 2018. I rolled in the parking lot. David was there with his little thing doing his, what he did. And uh, I said, hey, David, can I ask you a question? He said, sure. I said, if you died today, where would you go? And he went, I have no idea. I said, would you like to? Tears rolled down this man's face and dripped onto his shirt. He said, can you tell me? And I threw that truck into park in the middle of the parking lot and I jumped out and I took David's hand and we talked about the gospel. And on that morning at about 6.30 in the morning, David accepted Christ as his Savior. And he was just doing a menial task at the church. But here's what got interesting. He fell in love with Jesus. And Jesus changed his life. And Jesus changed his heart. And he changed his purpose. 
And I guarantee you this morning at 6.30, David was in the parking lot with his little thing doing what David does. But this time he has a whole group of people around him that help him take care of that morning because it's all about Jesus now. It's not about trash in the parking lot. That is strengthening the body. That is being a servant that wants to have hearts encouraged and united in love and grow in their understanding of Christ. Sue's been out of town all this week, so I went to a local restaurant and I had my notebook with me and I was just sitting there. I was trying to get good pizza. Don't get me started. But I was, I was trying to get good pizza this week and uh, as I sat there, this guy came by the waiter. He said, studying for class? And I normally would, would not identify exactly what I'm doing. I said, no, I'm, I'm actually looking over sermon notes for Sunday. He went, oh, you're one of those. I said, exactly what is one of those? He said, you're a preacher. I said, yes, sir, I am. He said, well, just so you know, I don't believe any of it. I said, okay. He went, what? I said, okay. He said, you're not going to challenge me on this? I said, no, I'm not. I said, I just have one question for you. If what you believe is not true, would you want to know it? And he went, you know what? I don't think I would because I'm pretty content where I am. Someone has deceived this man with false teaching. Someone has deceived this man with arguments that sound good but aren't truthful. And Paul writes to Colossae, and God sends it to us. I want you to be servants of Christ so that nobody is deceived. How's that going to happen? When you know and love this book and you fall in love with your Savior. And here's your last point. Servants stand firm in Christ. And I don't have time to unpack it. I wish I did. But you'll see, he says, For I may be absent in the body, but I am with you in spirit. There's his word again, rejoicing to see how well-ordered you are and the strength of your faith in Christ. There's a great verse out of Acts 16.5 that says that the churches were being strengthened in the faith and we're increasing in numbers daily. The churches, that's you and I, right? That's the body, that's us, individually. Are you being strengthened in the faith? Are you growing in the faith? Are you standing firm in the faith? Are you unmovable in what you believe, and in whom you trust, and in the one that you serve? On the bottom of your handout, I gave you this one last fill in the blank. Serving Christ requires a discipline to know and a devotion to share the fullness of the gospel of Christ. Are you disciplined today to know Him? Not know about Him, but to know Him. 
And are you so devoted today to share him? I was writing a personal mission statement a number of years ago. And I got it from somebody. I know I did. I'm not that clever to come up with it on my own. But I ended my personal mission statement with this statement. I will finish well if I keep a towel on my arm and water in my basin. I want to be a servant of the Most High. I want my life to finish by serving Him. And I want you to do the same. I want you to pick up a towel. I want you to get a basin. I want you to go to your friends and your family, your neighbors and your co-workers and go, I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. How may I love you today? You know, the only way you ever become a servant of Christ is to become a child of Christ. And you can do that today. You can accept the free gift of salvation exactly where you sit. Whether in this building or at home, you can accept that free gift. And Jesus said, when you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, you will be saved. And then he unleashes you to be a servant. Does that sound good to anybody else? Saved? Good? Saved? Servant? I rejoice at that, even in the sufferings. Oh God, may you make it true for us. May you break our hearts. For where we are far away and distant, where we have become unmovable, where our hearts have gotten hardened. Spirit of God, would you break that? Spirit of God, would you work in this room today and release us from the burden of suffering, from the, from the, the dread of suffering? And we may be servants like you that embrace what you bring into our life to help us look more like you at the end of the day. Fathers, we leave this place. Would you unleash every person in this room into this community that we may proclaim the good news of Christ so that we may present everyone mature one day. It is so good to be called your child and your servant. In Jesus' name, amen.